And now, race fans, it's time for those most famous words in motorsports. Here to give the command, please welcome our Grand Marshal, 1960 Daytona 500 champion and member of the inaugural class of the NASCAR Hall of Fame, Junior Johnson. Gentlemen, start your engines. All right, engines are fired. That means another episode of the Up to Speed podcast is officially underway, Tyler Head. Dalton Mullinax with you as always. And this past Sunday, as I was watching the Super Bowl and those final few seconds were ticking off the clock, congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs, by the way. It really hit me that it's racing season and we are only a couple days away from cars officially hitting the track at Daytona. I don't know about you, but I am pumped. Me too, and you know we were talking about it a little bit before we started this, but you know seeing the commercials, you know the spots during the Super Bowl, like that just got me more like excited. Like you know we're less than a week away at this point, and then you know this is gonna go until November, until Thanksgiving. So I don't know. It's just you obviously realize how many days there are and all that good stuff, but until like you really. You know, you get to the week of, that's when it kind of really just becomes real. Right. And, I, I, you know, I'm I'm glad that obviously you and I are big football fans, you know, on both college and the professional front. So at least we have that to kind of carry us through the off season. But I know a lot of people that just like NASCAR and NASCAR only. And I just can't imagine what, you know, those three months of just having really nothing at all to, to help carry you over must be like for those kind of fans. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't know, I don't know, I mean, because there's a hundred some odd days between the end of the NASCAR season and the beginning, and it's like, it's a lot of days without something. Yeah, I mean, you do have some things thrown in there, like the, uh, was the, the Snowball Derby, you have Chili Bowl, obviously, Speed Fest down, uh, down in Cordell, Georgia, uh, I'm going to make it to that one of these days, I just haven't been able to get to it. So you have the small events kind of sprinkled throughout the, um, winter and stuff like that but just there's nothing that quite compares to the grind of the actual racing season and again fortunately we're only a couple days away from that getting kicked off and then we're pretty much locked in until you know, we're finishing the season a week earlier this year the first i think it's the no, the second weekend in november is when the championship will be crowned this year yeah i mean and that's the thing with nascar like it's just something you have every week and for multiple days, usually mm-hmm. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Well, yeah, I was, um, you know, talking, um, I was on uh, 960 The Ref yesterday on the home team, the afternoon show, and we were kind of talking about how, you know, February is the lull of the sports calendar for a lot of people because obviously you have the Super Bowl at the beginning of the month, and like for college football fans, you have the traditional national signing day, which is tomorrow as we're recording this, but after that, you know, College basketball, everybody's just kind of looking forward to March Madness. You know, the MLB season hasn't started yet. Um, but, you know, for guys like us, obviously, we go straight from Super Bowl to right into racing. And it's just, it never really skips a beat. Right. So, um, quick note on those Super Bowl commercials. And we kind of touched on this, um, uh, I think, last time. Because we've seen the primary commercial that was ran in the Super Bowl. Because it, it aired in the NFC Championship game, which was also on Fox like the Super Bowl was, and, you know, just kind of a mashup of a bunch of old clips of Daytona 500s, some good rock and roll music, you know, nothing uh, ridiculous like the Daytona Day stuff we were subject to for the couple years, and 
um, you know, overall, I think that commercial was pretty solid and kind of got the point across. And then we had the the special one, I guess, for the Super Bowl, which was the cars driving across the field, and they kind of made it look like it was worked into the broadcast there. You had Joe Buck and Troy Aikman being interrupted by the cars. So I feel like fans of the Super Bowl got a lot of NASCAR put in front of them uh, throughout the entire game. I think I counted five spots total, including the one with the cars going across the track. And, and each of those were unique in their own way. Yes. And, you know, I, obviously the one, I mean, I like the, the cars on the field the best. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were talking about, I wish it would have been a little bit longer just so you could have gotten a, you know, grasp. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Cars, NASCAR. And then, you know, like it'd been cool to have had like some kind of animation where Joey Bosa was trying to, to tackle a car or Mahomes throws one and somebody intercepts. I don't know. It just, it would have been cool. Um, but nonetheless, I thought they were well done too, especially the ones you're talking about. Just they were simple. Yep. And sometimes that's what you need. You don't need to go all crazy with with commercials. Just be simple. Keep it simple. And you know, at the end of the day, if, if somebody sees those commercials and they're interested, they're going to watch. You're not. You shouldn't. You shouldn't have to ex- spend all this time in creating these. You know, crazy commercials because you, that, that's not going to convince anybody well and that was the thing that got me about daytona day and this is what's really unique about um fox having the super bowl every three years is that's kind of the year that nascar has a chance to really capitalize on bringing in some casual viewership for the daytona 500 which of, of course hope is going to carry over in the weeks after that daytona day while it was it did have that goofy memorableness to it that a lot of Super Bowl commercials really go after where you don't exactly have to show your product up front but there was nothing about Daytona Day that presented you anything about the Daytona 500 it was just a bunch of people uh partying in a very cringy way um and you're just being told it's about Daytona but you're not seeing any element of NASCAR in the commercial and that's what really bothered me and a lot of other fans too it's like you're not representing the sport in a good way um, and I really don't think it helped pulling any casual viewers either. Well, I just, during that, I didn't think it was, you know, I was talking about accurately displayed. I don't think it was. Like, when I think of Daytona, that's not what I think of. I mean, I get I'm, I'm not the casual fan, but try to keep it what it is. Don't make it something that yeah. it's not. Yeah, and again, like with this year's spot, it was just, bunch of old clips you know you have the traditional the the helmet fight from 1979 you know Dale Earnhardt winning in 1998 just you know the the usual historic clips that people are used to and you just you know mix in a few more current guys um in there as well and you just kind of got a whole package of of what needed to be seen by the masses to hopefully again pull in a casual more of a casual audience I was looking at the numbers of the past two day tone of 500s and they both come in at an even 5.3 for Denny Hamlin's win last year and Austin Dillon's the year before. Um, you know, and we, we talked a lot last year about NASCAR kind of finally bottoming out a little bit when it came to the ratings. And obviously some races were a little bit lower than in years past, but we weren't seeing the steep declines as we'd seen in the past couple years. So if we're talking like a target rating for the Daytona 500, I mean, if we were able to pull off a 5.5, maybe a 5.6, I mean, that, that sounds pretty good to me. 
Um, and again, that's yeah. not astronomically different by any means. And, you know, you can take Nielsen ratings with a grain of salt because they aren't a perfect representation for how many people tuned in, just people with Nielsen boxes. But anything a little bit above is, is going to be good in my books. But, and, you know, you were talking about every three years Fox gets the Super Bowl, which means it's kind of a lead end in the Daytona 500. You know, I really, I was actually thinking about this the other day when we recorded our last podcast, mm-hmm. but I don't, you know, we, we, we're both very optimistic about the sport. Yep. And the direction that it's going, the, the momentum, that's where word we used a lot this offseason. You want to continue to build off of last season. Yep. And I thought this is the perfect year to have, you know, Fox host the Super Bowl because it's a great year to advertise the Daytona 500. Yes. You know, you, you, you had a lot of people talking about it last year. Mm-hmm. And then now to just basically bring that into 2020, I, I think it's, you know, it's coincidence, obviously. You couldn't have, you know, if this would have been coming off the heels of, the the 2018 season you would have been like uh, okay um, but there's a lot of there's a lot of in my opinion maybe I'm wrong but I feel like there's a lot of optimism within the sport um, and for me anyways it's just it's a perfect storm really yeah and you know Fox definitely hasn't been up to the standard that they once were as far as their nascar coverage goes at the track and you know we've talked about it last year with especially with their truck broadcasts as the season wound to an end they just had some horrible horrible missteps but you know in terms of building up to the daytona 500 the commercial was good um you know a fair amount of spots there jeff gordon was involved in the pregame show he did this go-kart race with with rob gronkowski on a cruise ship again kind of silly but still it's getting them involved it's putting a big name connected with it um, you know, and that's the kind of things that just get a few more eyes on the 500 itself. That's the main goal, um, in the weeks leading up to the 500. And again, especially in the year when, uh, the Super Bowl itself is on Fox as well. Right. And, you know, it's talking about the Gronk thing. Like that's one thing I think NASCAR has done a very good job of the past several years mm-hmm. is kind of crossing over essentially, you know, like the one that the barstool one makes too much sense. Yes. I mean, and, you know, it's just, it, it's contributions from outsiders like that, that, you know, now you have like Dave Portnoy, you know, all over NASCAR. Yep. You yeah. know, he has several hundred thousand followers. You know, he tweets to them and then, you know, he's like, this is the greatest thing ever assembled. I yep. mean, you know, he absolutely loved Talladega. Mm-hmm. I, I right. still, I still regret not talking to him in the media center. Yeah, for, yeah, for real. But I guess, like for me, like you have him, and, and that's how you—that's how you grow the sport. You know, you reach out to different avenues that you're not tapping by just going to a race. Because I mean, like, but but the barstool is a young crowd mostly. Yep. College kids most of the time, and probably a lot of people that don't watch NASCAR. But if you've got Dave Portnoy saying this is the greatest thing ever assembled, mm-hmm. they may give it a shot. Uh, something else too that, um, and I've been seeing this over the past couple days. Uh, I, I, and I'm, you know, a, a fan of the NASCAR on YouTube community that's kind of gained a lot of steam over the past couple years. I interviewed Jake Basinger last fall 
um, who's got a pretty prominent YouTube channel, but him, uh, Danny B Talks, I think Black Flags Matter, Into SC4R, these guys that are very prominent in the NASCAR YouTube community um, that create really good content, you know, um, all, you know, compilation footage of crashes, you know, close finishes, first time winners each year. Um, you know, you got guys like Black Flags Matter that really dive into the um, careers of, of certain drivers as bust or as success stories, you know, missing championships, that kind of stuff. And that's, from what I've seen from that, that's also bringing in a lot of fans too. And NASCAR is really embracing, because it's, it's younger guys. It's guys around our age, maybe a little bit older and some a little bit younger. But NASCAR is also embracing that and bringing those guys to down to Daytona and letting them be a part of the Daytona 500 as well. And it's just these small things that may not seem huge, isolated, but when you put them together, NASCAR on YouTube, Barstool Sports, having a really good presence with the Super Bowl, Hopefully, it all adds up to a really, really big bump in viewership. And, and that's, all, that's all you can hope for. So, fingers crossed on that. But before we get to the Daytona 500, we have a weekend of Speed Weeks prior to that. That's this weekend upcoming. We have the ARCA race on Saturday. We have Daytona 500 pole qualifying Sunday afternoon. And then we have the newly renamed Bush Clash. 18 drivers just out there racing for nothing but bragging rights, essentially. And this was a race a year ago that Jimmy Johnson won that was largely eh, pretty dull until the big wreck happened at the end, and then you had the controversy that um, came from that. And a lot of people kind of left that race with a sour taste in their mouth, like, oh, do we even need this clash race? You know, these guys don't want to go out there and wreck. They're just going to ride for the entire time. With the Super Speedway package we're finally bringing to Speed Weeks, we saw it obviously three times uh, last year at the two Talladega races in the Daytona July race, this has the potential to be a really, really good clash if the drivers will go out there and decide to race the entire time. Put on a show. Yep. I mean, that's my biggest thing. Put on a show. I mean, um, you know, obviously the drivers have an advantage being out there because they're getting on track time. Um, but my thing is like, try different things with your car, be aggressive, you know, um, don't sit around and ride single file for two thirds of the race. Right. Well, and that's the thing because yes, riding until the very end, the last five laps or so makes a lot of sense from an economical and a strategy standpoint. Again, you're not racing for points. You don't have to worry about stages or anything like that. It's truly about what happens on the last lap. But at the same time, and this is something that I, ne I, I, I never like to be the back-in-the-day kind of guy, but I feel like 15, 20 years ago, drivers understood a little bit more about the putting-on-a-show aspect of racing. Like, okay, do I need to make this pass, you know, 25 laps into this race no not necessarily but it's part of the show so i'm gonna make this price and you know that's kind of something that i feel like stages have helped out a little bit with because you have provided a little more incentive to race harder earlier in the race but it does boil down the driver's got to understand as much of a sport and form of professionalism that we like to present nascar is it's also entertainment and people want to be entertained, especially when we're talking about exhibition races. Exactly. So, here's hoping it turns out better than last year. That's not a high bar to beat. 
but no not at all not at all um and hopefully you know we talk about it all the time hopefully that's not the last race jimmy johnson goes to victory lane for because it's definitely uh i mean you had you had the controversy of the wreck who caused it and stuff like that but just the overall race was not memorable at all no um so here are the 18 drivers that will be competing in the clash on sunday you got kurt bush brad keselowski Austin Dillon, Kevin Harvick, Ryan Newman, Chase Elliott, Eric Almirola, Denny Hamlin, Ryan Blaney, Clint Boyer, Kyle Busch, Martin Trex Jr., Eric Jones, Joey Logano, William Byron, Kyle Larson, Jimmy Johnson, and Alex Bowman. I mean, that's pretty much your who's who of, you know, guys, uh, your champion's going to come from that group of 18 drivers. I'm pretty sure all, you know, out of the 16 guys that are going to make the playoffs are probably all in this 18 group of drivers as well, so... You got the best of the best that you got out there right now, and they're going to be racing on yeah, Sunday. And that's and that's what you want, you know. I, you know, that's the thing with with these between the clash and and the two duels is it's split. The, the field is so much smaller mm-hmm. that I feel like you get to see more, like you can focus on more. Especially, yep. if, you know, it only happens at Daytona. But yep. I don't know. I think that it's again. I, I think that it'll be a really good, you know. Just interesting, you know, go of it. Yep. Uh, now, two drivers that were eligible for this race that are deciding not to compete in it. Obviously, we talked about it last time. Daniel Suarez finally finalized a deal with um, Gaunt Brothers Racing to run the 96 full-time. However, they've chosen not to run the Clash. Again, they're a smaller team. They probably don't want to tear up the equipment. And, Dan- and um, Daniel Hemrick, who did get a pole last year, um, driving for RCR, obviously he's not a cup driver anymore. You kind of wondered if maybe somebody would pony up and give him a ride, but it's turned out not to be the case. So, out of a twenty out of twenty possible drivers, we're going to get an eighteen driver field. And when it comes to these exhibition races, I do kind of like it to be a little bit more exclusive. You know, I don't. I, I know the um, back when it was the Bud Shootout. I think it was two thousand nine. They let in twenty five total drivers, and it wasn't even about pole winners. It was about like um, certain amount of drivers from each manufacturer and stuff like that. And that's a little bit of oversaturation. I like these kind of races in the all-star race too, to feel more exclusive and special. Yeah. So, but you know, we'll, we'll see. Hope uh, again, hopefully this year's race is even better, is, is much better than last year's. Well, again, like not said, hard to beat. They're, they're, it's not going to be hard to beat. So just don't run the top the entire time and, I think we'll be pretty good. Well, and we'll also get a, our first chance to see the uh, new Camaro, um, which has the flatter nose. You're going to have, let's see, seven Camaros competing in this race. You got the four um, Hendrick cars. You got the two cars from Ganassi. And then... Austin Dillon. Austin Dillon. That's right, Austin Dillon. So, yeah, you get uh, you know not quite half the field, but a, a good amount of Chevrolets in there just to kind of see how it's going to act in the draft, especially when it comes to bump drafting, because as we saw, especially at Talladega last year, just that pointed nose, you hit somebody the wrong way, you're turning them in front of the field, and all heck breaks loose at that point. So that that's probably one of the biggest things I'm going to be looking for on Sunday is just how the Chevys draft together um, and how much this new nose makes a difference. Well, and I think that's going to be a story. I'm glad you brought that up. I think it's going to be a storyline, too, because we know what happened at Talladega last year when... Mm-hmm. You know, Chevy kind of got together and was like, "What are you guys doing?" Right. You know, get your, you know, what together. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if those seven kind of link up. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and, and just kind of feel out this new nose and see, you know, can you be a little bit more aggressive? You know, I mean, I, I think that, I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm not more in the know with NASCAR than you are, but it's like, I would think that they would want them to now so they can go ahead and kind of prepare drivers for when they get together and practice next week. Right. And, you know, just so you're not going out there cold. You know, yeah. You're not going out there blind. You can go out there and say, okay, you could really suck up to a guy this year, but you better not do this. Or you better not do that. Uh, you know, they've got what I, the shootouts, what, 75 laps? Uh, yes. So, I mean, you've got a decent chunk of laps, not only to kind of feel the car out, but you've also got plenty of time to go win the race. So, I mean, we know with these, you know, super speedway tracks that, Anything can happen as long as you, seriously, as long as your car is running at the end, you got a shot. Right, and and as much as NASCAR wants to de-emphasize um, the manufacturers working together like that, they're not going to. These guys are going to link up. They're going to have happen. team meetings. And when looking at the breakdown of this race, you have seven Chevrolets, you also have seven Fords, and you only have four Toyotas, which are of course the JGR Toyotas. Um, so I feel like, I mean, for each manufacturer, I mean, obviously Toyota's got a little bit less, but it's a fair amount for each group to kind of stick together and, and have a game plan if they want to in this thing. Yeah, and again, it's just, it's all for fun. There's no points being awarded. Just go out there and learn something. And before we even get to the clash on Sunday, we also have pole qualifying earlier in the day, um, believe at noon, and... You know, the past couple of years, it just kind of seems like Hendrick Motorsports has, has had this kind of down. Um, for as much as they have struggled running up front at a lot of tracks, for these super speedways, they sure don't, they sure don't have a problem qualifying up there. And now I'll be interested to see as well, in line with what I'm looking for in the Clash, how does the new nose affect things aerodynamically with single car runs? We know they have the engine and all that but you know it are, is chevrolet sacrificing straight line individual speed for the ability to handle better within a pack and that's the million dollar question you know I, you know they've, they've cut down the amount of time they can have in the wind tunnel too yep so i think that plays a big factor in this you know um but i mean we want I saw this stat the other day, and I meant to write it down so we could talk about it, but when was the last time there wasn't a Hendrick car on the pole at Daytona? That's a good question. I will attempt to I mean, it up. was something stupid. Like, if, if I believe that's the stat. We can look it up and see. Let's see. But, like, I saw, I, I read that, and I was like, good grief. Like, it just, like you said, we know that the Hendrick engines are, some of the best engines in the sport. Right. You know, especially these super speedway tracks. And, um, you know, you just, you wonder, like you said, if this, you know, if Chevy has sacrificed a little bit of single run qualifying speed for drivability during the race. And, you know, a lot of the Chevy drivers who talked about the past couple of years just that's a handful to drive. Yes. So, and, um, and I just pulled up a list of the pole winners. Uh, Hendrick Motorsports has sat on the pole for the 500 ever since 2015. The last non-Hendrick driver selling the pole for the 500 was Austin Dillon back in 2014. So, okay. that ju just off the pole alone, it's been a five-year streak. Yeah. 
maybe that wasn't the staff. I don't know. I remember maybe it was. I don't know what it was. Don't get me to line, but whatever it was, it just and even five consecutive years of you know having the pole is impressive in and of itself. Right. Uh, most of those years, the teammates started on the outside. Yeah. So in two thousand and fourteen. Danica Patrick actually got the outside pole. So, yeah, it's been five consecutive years that a Hendrick, uh, and there have been and multiple times in those with those poles, they've also just entirely swept the front row. So right. they've just been on this five-year hot streak, essentially. Yeah, and their, their speed has never been a question. It hasn't been a question the past couple of years. It's just oh. the drivability of the cars has been, ever since they switched over to the, the new Camaro, it's just kind of been a... Uh, what's going to happen here? Sorry, I was looking at the wrong thing. It was actually Martin Truex Jr. that started on the outside front row of uh, the 2014 Daytona 500. Again, not a Hendrick car, but still, same argument. Right, right. Um, wow, that was about the only good thing that happened for Martin Truex Jr. that season. That's true. Um, and uh, that's another thing to, to look for, um, not just in qualifying, but in the uh, class and just entirely through speed weeks. This will be the first time we see Martin Truex Jr., without Cole Pern um, since that 2014 season. Um, and, you know, you, you, that, that's kind of been the ongoing narrative is who's more responsible for the success. Is it Pern or is it Truex? We're about to finally learn if it's one or the other. Well, and it's the same thing that Jimmy Johnson and Chad Canals went through. Obviously, those two guys had more success. But, mm-hmm. you know, Cole and Truex have had success recently. So, um you know, JGR, until they're not, they're still the class of the field. Yeah. Um, so they're still building They're still building good cars, and I think Truex is going to be just fine. Yeah. Um, and speaking of crew chief swaps, you know, you got James Small is going to be the new crew chief for Truex Jr. A couple other high-profile teams swapping crews around. You had the kind of three-way shuffle go on at Penske in the offseason where now Brad Keselowski is paired up with Ryan Blaney's old crew chief and Jeremy Bullins. Ryan Blaney now gets Todd Gordon from Joey Logano, and Joey Logano now gets Paul Wolf. And this was a, a move that not a lot of people are even understanding why the move was made. And you and I talked about it in the podcast shortly after it happened. I think the day of that it happened, I think we're thinking Brad Keselowski is going to get the raw end of the deal on this one because, you know, for as as competitive as Blaney has been in some regards the wins just haven't been there compared to what his teammates have done over the past couple of years. And I think that's going to be a really telling sign if uh, Brad Keselowski doesn't win any races, maybe only wins one this year, is Jeremy Bullen's atop the box. Yeah, you know, this these past couple of weeks for media availability, obviously, you know, as they gear up for the 500, they're, you know, Brad's getting questioned left and right, you know, you know, was there something going on behind the scenes? Did you and Paul Wolf not get along? Mm-hmm. You know, he's not going to come out and say, like, again, you can compare everybody to Jimmy and Chad, but there was some, there was some issues behind the scenes with them too. Right. And you could even hear that, you know, through their audio, um, there was frustration, but you know, you never, I never really got that from Brad Keselowski and Paul Wolf, but you know, one thing he said that I really took away was, you know, sometimes when you get comfortable, you just need to change. Yep. Now, I will say, I, I don't know if he's happy that he's no longer with a, you know, championship-winning crew chief. Mm-hmm. And like you said, I mean, I think we can 
both agree that Bullens is the you know the low man on the totem pole amongst those three crew chiefs. Right. Um, and I don't even really think it's close. No, not at all. Uh, but you know, maybe, maybe he, maybe everybody needed something new. You know, maybe because you know Penske started out hot last year, and then just really just fell off face first. Well, that was the thing after Joey Logano won the first Michigan race in June. They didn't win another race for the rest of the season until Ryan Blaney won at Talladega last fall. Which again, you know, a race of attrition. You can kind of take that one with a grain of salt. I'm certainly not going to say that was because of Jeremy Bullens being on top of the box. And when you kind of really break down the three wins that Blaney and Bullens have had together. You had a Pocono race where Blaney had fresher tires than Kyle Busch, who definitely had the best car that day. You had Jimmy Johnson and Martin Trex Jr. taking each other out at the Roval, and then you have a crash-filled race at Talladega. So, I mean, Jeremy Bullens really doesn't have a signature victory. He can stick his, you know, stick his flag in and say, "I'm the reason this happened." So, you know, maybe putting him with a veteran driver like Keselowski will help him out and bring him along. But you know, as we saw with. Um, um, mendering last year with Jimmy Johnson, just because you got a veteran behind the wheel doesn't mean the crew chief's going to be able to stay up to speed with them. Nope. So, nope. And that's, I saw somebody make that comparison when it happened. You know, this is just kind of a, you know, let's see what happens. But, you know, if, if Brad comes out the gate struggling and, you know, Blaney and Logano are winning, I mean, I, I think you can see him get canned quickly. For sure. Um, another crew chief swap that happened over at Stewart Haas Racing, Eric Almarola and Clint Boyer essentially swapped crews entirely. This isn't just crew chiefs, it's also pick crew members as well. So Mike Bugaravich goes to the 10 car, Johnny Klossmeyer goes to the 14, and when you kind of look at that team last year, in 2018, all four of their cars reached victory lane at some point in the season, and you know you can they were hands down the best team overall in the um 2018 season but last year it was only Harvick and it took him half the season to really get into a winning mode so I can understand why they would want to swap things around a little bit and you know to me it can't really hurt now Mike Bugaravich and Johnny Klossmeyer are probably pretty even in terms of crew chiefing abilities in my eyes I think it's just more of a uh, a, a fresh crew chief for each driver right that, that I guess that's kind of the reasoning behind this Right, and, and you know sometimes sometimes you need that that challenge. And that's what Keselowski was saying. You, you know, you get comfortable and you get settled in, and you know everything's okay. Well, not really. I mean, like you said, after Michigan, they didn't win. No. And you know, I don't think any of them are happy with it. And I, I bet you money, Mister Pinsky isn't happy either. So, you know, you just you, you've got to sometimes you have to think outside the box. Yeah, for sure. Back takes two steps forward. You know, um, and maybe this is what they need. Maybe everybody thrives this year. Yeah, only, only time will tell. Well, and you know, sticking on the topic of crew chiefs, since that's kind of the path we're going down right now. Obviously, Jimmy Johnson didn't make the playoffs last year, but they made the switch to Cliff Daniels at crew chief with a couple races to go before the playoffs. And again, while they didn't quite make the cut. His performance once they got into the playoffs was def was noticeably better than it had been at the beginning of the season. Now, obviously, they didn't win any races and they weren't factors late in races, but it just felt like they were slowly getting better, learning as the weeks went by. And you know, you hope, especially now that this is going to be Jimmy Johnson's last full time season, that they're able to carry that momentum over and start off 
29 or 2020 exceptionally farther ahead than they were in 2019. Right. But we'll see. So. Yeah, like I said, only time will tell. That's right. Uh, we'll go ahead and jump into our picks for this weekend. We'll actually start off with the ARCA race on Saturday. This is actually going to be the first ARCA Menard Series race under NASCAR ownership. And I was thinking about this earlier because I remember this announcement was made the Friday of the spring 2018 Talladega weekend. Because obviously ARCA runs the spring Talladega weekend alongside NASCAR that ARCA was going to become a part of NASCAR. And I remember thinking back then like, well, how's this, you know, what, what's going to happen? What's going to change? And now we've learned how they're kind of integrated with the K&N, uh, what is now the Arkham Menards East and West Series. So that'll be the first season um, of seeing that and see how that plays out. So we'll try and pay a little more attention to Arca this year as well. This is always an interesting race to me, not only that it kicks off speed weeks, but you typically get some pretty interesting names in the race. You'll get, uh, obviously, the uh, drivers that are competing for the ARCA championship, but you get some guys from, you know, the Trucks and Xfinity series looking to get more um, restrictor plate experience. And uh, just among the names, Haley Deegan, who's going to be competing full-time in the ARCA series this year. You're going to have Riley Herbst, who's going to be full-time in Xfinity for Joe Gibbs Racing. Tanner Gray, who's going to be a rookie in the truck series, um, as well as David Gravel, who's going to be making some truck series starts. Then Natalie Decker, who's going to be driving for Ken Schrader, and, and that, wrecking literally everything. We'll, we'll see how that goes. She, and funny thing about her in the truck series, and we talked that about this earlier, is she's going to be driving for Nice Motorsports, a team that nearly won the championship with Ross Chastain last year. Now Ty Majeski is essentially taking over Chastain's ride, but Natalie Decker, if she was ever going to win a race, she's going to be in the best equipment for it this year. And I was going to say she's got the equipment to do it. I just I really wish she would dedicate herself to another full season of ARCA. I think that could help her out tremendously, but you know we'll see if another plate race in ARCA can help her out, at least for the Truck Series race next weekend. Yeah. But um, and in- including you also have you know guys uh, going for the ARCA Series championship. I mentioned Haley Deegan running for the title. You got Brett Holmes, Michael Self, guy Augustine, guys that have been pretty prominent. Um, you know, throughout the ARCA series the last couple of years, uh, based on this limited list, because again, there's a lot of cars in the ARCA Menard series that just aren't competitive. Who would you pick to win this race on Saturday? Um, I mean, like the the fan in me would love to see Haley Deegan win. Mm-hmm. Just one, it'd be a great story. You know, two, you know, we've talked about her a bit this off season. It's just. She's ready to be a star in this sport. I was going to say, she, she is NASCAR's next superstar in waiting. And, and like Kevin Harvick, Kevin Harvick said with Chase Elliott, the way you really win people over is if you win. That's right. And as much as NASCAR and sponsors would love to shoot her up the ladder so she can be, in a, she can be another face of the sport, she's dedicated to making this a slow process working way up the ladder, making sure she gets the most out of every series that she touches. And while it may seem like that wait's going to take a while, if she does eventually get the Cup Series, it should pay off. It could be so rewarding. It could be so rewarding. Now, I've said all that for a pick. I'm going to take Riley Herbst. Okay. He's going to be in good equipment. He's got a little bit of experience, so I'll stick with him. I completely agree with you. 
Um, we have, you and I have been overly critical of Riley Herbst for his time in the truck series as well as his starts in the Xfinity series because he just hasn't quite shown that potential, certainly to justify being full-time in Xfinity series this year. But when it comes to restrictor plate tracks, he did nearly win the fall truck race last year, then ended up going to Spencer Boyd. And again, with so few competitive cars in the Arkham Menard series, as long as you got a good car underneath you, you can get out front and win this thing pretty, not easily, but easier than it would be in another series. So I'll have to agree. I think Riley Herbst. It's easy to hold the lead. It is. Um, and, you know, they, they run their version of the Gen 6 car now. And watching them in plate races the past couple of years, it's, it's difficult to pass. They definitely have that bubble of air factor that plagued the Cup Series for a long time that fortunately it seems like we're finally past. But, um, yeah, if you get out front, you qualify up front, you get out front, it's going to be tough to get around. Um, I, I, I like Riley Herbst as well. You may not hear me say that the rest of this year for any other race, but for this one, I, 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 like, I like the way you're thinking with Riley Herbst. Yeah. So going to Sunday, we get the double header. You're going to have a Daytona 500 pole qualifying earlier in the afternoon. We talked about it earlier, Hendrick Motorsports, a five-year streak of sitting on the pole for the Daytona 500. Does that change in 2020, or does that stick to the status quo? Uh, we're going to stick to the status quo on that one. Even, you know, maybe they gave up a little bit of speed and you know, the, with this new car, but they still have Hendrick engines under the hood. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I really do think that that's going to... I think one of the four is going to be back on the pole, if not the front four, mm-hmm. you know. So who's your pick? So, so I, I, I'm going to roll with a Hendrick guy for the clash. I'm going to go with William Byron. For the pole? Uh, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll go back with him with the pole. But for the clash, I'll go with him as well. Okay, so William Byron, I, in your mind, I will... Don't de- know why, I don't know why, but I feel like he's about to have a monster year. And I, I don't know why. It, I, it, I just... I was watching a couple races um, over the past couple weeks, and it's just... The praise he gets from former drivers, and you know, you know, he has now one one full year with Chad Knauss. You know, they've they've had this off season to kind of grow their chemistry together and and get to know each other a little bit better. And I I don't know, I just I, I don't know why I think that he could be the Hendrick guy. Like, look, we know what Jimmy's capable of. Yep. Um. Not lately, you know. We know what Chase is capable of lately. I, I just, I don't know why I have this weird feeling that Byron's just going to have this monster year. I, yeah, I, I, I don't know why. I just do though. Well, and you know, he definitely improved as the season went on last year. And I was listening to um, Door Bumper Clear earlier today, and they were talking about, um, you know, every time we log on to iRacing, you see the kid on there, and you know, this it, it's this is one of the cliches that I hate when they talk about a football player this way, but. You can also use it in racing. He's very much a student of the game. He studies. He, you know, he gets behind the wheel of iRacing simulators and just tries his best to improve on his craft as much as he can. He's definitely a new age race car driver, and you know we're slowly starting to see him finally pick up a little bit of momentum. And twenty twenty, I agree, could definitely be his year. Yeah, I mean, so like I said, I'll roll with him for the pole. And I'll roll with him in the clash. So will he be with a clean sweep of the first day of Speed Weeks? For the poll, 
And this has kind of been, and you know, people put on their tinfoil hats for the conspiracy theories. There's always a story revolving around the Daytona 500 poll winner. And I think I know, you can probably see where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Johnson. Yeah. His final season, full-time. Now, he may run some spot races here and there down the road. His final full-time season for the seven-time champion. His rookie year in 2002, what did he do? He sat on the front row of the Daytona 500. So why wouldn't you do the exact same thing in his final year? And again, you can put on your tinfoil hat, say it's a conspiracy. It would be Hendrick Motorsports' sixth consecutive Daytona 500 poll. So I don't think anybody would be shocked by it by any means. But Yeah, it's not like you're going out on a limb or anything. Right. In terms of a really good story to harp on for an entire week leading up to the Daytona 500, and I looked it up, he also won the poll back in 2008 as well. Seven time in his final full time season, just like Jeff Gordon did in 2015, sitting on the pole for what could be his final Great American race. I'm I'm feeling pretty confident in that one, honestly. Yeah, I didn't. I honestly didn't even think about that, but yeah, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if he did. You know, look, I'm a huge Jimmy Johnson fan. That's my driver. You know, and I just want him to have a successful final season. I, yes. I don't want what's happened the past couple of years. You know. Like you said, I don't want him to go on this big drought, you know, to end his career. Right. And that, that would be, you know, and I kind of thought that last year when he won the Clash, you know, that, man, here we go. This is going to be a good 2019. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't happen. But it'd be nice to get off on a, uh, the right foot in 2020. Right. Um, but in terms of just qualifying as a whole, if you're asking me to take the four Hendrick cars or the field, I'm confidently taking the four Hendrick cars. Yeah. Um, as far as the clash goes, though, I'm going to go outside the box of Hendrick Motorsports, and I'm actually going to go with Ryan Blaney. He won at Fall Talladega last year. We know he runs up front at these plate races. He's also getting a crew chief now that is really, really good with setting up plate cars. Him and Joe Logano have had a ton of success. They've won Daytona 500s. They've won races at Talladega before. I just really think this this... And we've said it before that Blaney got the best end of this deal with the crew chief swap, and he's getting a crew chief that is notorious for winning at play tracks. So I think Sunday's going to be the first time we get to see that in action. Yeah, we'll see if they can put it all together. We shall see. Um, but yeah, we're no uh, no longer having to title these episodes preseason week, whatever. This is pre-speed no, week. Now. It is race week. We're just a couple days away. I hope everybody's as excited as we are. If you're new to the podcast, don't forget to subscribe. Leave us a review on I, or on uh, Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends about it because we are going full force this season. Our second full year. Hopefully we make it even better than last year was. Um, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. Me too. Um, like I said, I feel like this offseason went by a little bit quicker with us doing this. And it just made me even more excited for the season, as I always have been. But it just uh, a little extra to to put the excitement factor up for me. Yeah. So uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter. You can follow the podcast at Up to Speed Podcast. You can follow me at Tylerhead18. You can follow him at at, at WX. Did I get that right? There you go. I got it right. Okay, I've been studying for that one. Just in time for the season. That's right. Hey, tw- new year, new me. How about that? <laughs> But anyways, you can always uh, listen to us on Apple Podcasts. I also found out we're on the Radio.com app, which I did not know about that until I searched on it. That was pretty cool. 
Um, and as well, you can listen to us on the brand new 960 The Ref app. We'll be back next week to recap, finally, some on-track action of The Clash, The Arca Race, Daytona 500 pole qualifying, and get you set for the Great American Race. Thanks for listening to the Up Speed Podcast. We'll catch you next time.